This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for December 27th, 2019. If you got a new Mac, we walk through eight steps to make it more secure and maintain your privacy. Plus, Apple provides details on its security measures, Ring sends customers an email about passwords, and Apple sets a security bug bounty up to a million dollars. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. It's the day after Christmas. It's Boxing Day here in the UK. Do you know what that is, Josh? Oh, yeah. Um, it's It doesn't have to do with, uh, you know, Mike Tyson and, gosh, I'm really showing my, my age probably. No. Anyway, no, I know it does not have to do with the sport boxing. No, it's about people giving boxes to people with gifts. It started in the UK, I think, in the 19th century, where people would give gifts to servants and postmen and people like that. It would be the day when they would give gifts gifts to people who weren't family members, people who worked for them. It was the trickle-down gift day, in a way. So this, this is the original re-gifting holiday. No, these would be unique gifts. But obviously, if you watch Downton Abbey in one of their Christmas specials, they did this. The next day, they come out and they give little gifts to people. They didn't give them you know, houses or horses or anything. They give them little things. It's not re-gift. It could be gifts that they got the year before. They don't, they didn't say. Um, but it is a, a, an actual, as they call it, a bank holiday in the UK. A bank holiday is the equivalent of a federal holiday. Right. Um, I believe it's only celebrated in the UK, Australia, New Zealand, maybe Canada, you know, former, yeah. former Commonwealth countries. But anyway, it's Boxing Day, the day after Christmas. And I hope you had an enjoyable Christmas. I hope it didn't, um, snow too much where you are? I don't think it snowed at all, did it? No, it doesn't snow. Not in my part of California. The, unless you live really in the mountaintops, you never hardly see snow in California, most places. Okay, so this week we've got a lot of interesting news. Plus, we've got some tips about how to secure your new Mac. If you got a new Mac under the tree uh, on Christmas, uh, we're going to walk you through eight steps that can make your Mac a lot more secure and enhance your privacy. Since we've been doing this podcast, we've had a couple of themes that come back over and over, one of them being Facebook and data breaches. And we actually haven't had them in a while, but our new theme is Ring, the company that makes doorbells that you and I both have Ring doorbells. And there have been these issues with Ring doorbells. And one in particular um, was a worry that some of Ring's services had been compromised and that people were hacking into doorbells. And there were actually some misleading articles. I saw one in The Guardian um, that was actually quite wrong because it was saying that hackers were able to find out if people were home by hacking into their ring doorbells. You can't really tell if someone's home by looking outside the home. In any case, I got an email last week, I think just after we finished recording, and you'd never got the email. We're both customers. And in the email, Ring was explaining what happened. They're saying that they weren't compromised. Now, they weren't actually blaming users, which is we were discussing this last week, but in effect, it is kind of the user's fault, isn't it? Right. Essentially, they're, they're talking about password reuse. They basically say, we weren't hacked. We don't see any evidence that we were hacked. It's just that people reuse passwords and they shouldn't be. 
And so people used some of these passwords that they found out in the public domain and used them to log into Ring customers' accounts. And we've been warning about this since the beginning of the podcast. Don't reuse passwords. Check out haveibeenpwned.com, link in the show notes, to see if your email has been compromised. And last week, you even said that this could be an opportunity for Ring to educate users. And curiously enough, this is what they did, isn't it? Well, yeah, sort of. I mean, you got this email from them. Strangely, I did not. And I know that I am getting emails. They're not going to spam. I checked my spam folder and I had recently gotten uh, an email a service or, or uh, you know, related alert from them. Uh, and so I know I'm checking the right email account and I did not get the email that you got. But um, but we will have that link in the show notes um, to the Ring blog, which essentially says it's the same thing as the email. And it says the same things that we've been talking about. Use right. different passwords for different accounts. Use strong passwords. Turn on two-factor authentication, etc. One thing they do point out is don't give your login information to someone else, like, say, a spouse or partner, but add them as a shared user. You can invite someone from the Ring app to access your account without them having your login information. Right. And the kind of scenario where you might want to use this would be, let's say that um, you have a relative who's going to uh, be house sitting for you for a while. Maybe you're going out of town for, for a few weeks and they're going to come over and they need to uh, maybe access your, your camera uh, for, you know, just to, to make sure that people aren't trying to steal things off your porch or whatever it might be. Um, so this is, uh, something that you might want to do on occasion, but this is a, this is a smart way to do it rather than sharing a password with other people. Um, they actually have ways, uh, to, to handle situations like that, which is good. A lot of security related companies have methods like this where you can temporarily share access to, uh, to your account. Related to this, um, we have an article in Fast Company uh, that says top websites keep letting people use weak passwords like 111111, and it's a major security risk. And they're quoting a study um, that someone made at the University of Plymouth, presumably that's in the UK. Over the holidays, hundreds of millions of people will receive technology presents and inevitably password their new accounts with QWERTY or 123123. And this is another thing that we've said a number of times. I think, now I don't know if this is possible. If I'm setting up uh, an account on an app or a service and I enter a password 111111, can that service know that this is a weak password or is that information obfuscated so they don't actually get the characters and the password to know that it's weak? Well, there are a number of ways that this could be done. One way that it could be done is by checking that hash. So remember, we've talked before about um, how hashes work. So ideally, a, a, a website or a service should not be um, actually recording your real password as you type it in. Um, but what they right. can do is they can record uh, a, a hash, which is sort of like a shadow imprint, you know, of your password. So they don't know what the actual characters of the password are, but um, in some cases, um, you know, they may be able to, if they've got a, a, the hash, they may be able to figure out if many people are using that same password, they may all have the same hash. Now, we won't get into too many details about salting and things like that. There are ways that you can further obfuscate this and websites should be using salting with uh, with password hashing. But 
Um, suffice it to say that, in, yes, th- in some cases, it is possible to be able to identify that multiple people are using the same password with the same service. Back in, I believe, 1995, my second internet service provider, I had the first one for about a year, and then I moved to another one, and I set up an email account, and I gave him a username, and I entered a password, and he emailed me back, oh, you can't use that password. I said, why? It's already in use. So he told me that someone on that server had the same password that I did. And I don't know, back then it probably wasn't secure and his mail server was probably set up so you couldn't use the same password for multiple accounts for some reason. I don't know. Or maybe he knew everybody's password and was like, wait, wait, I don't think you should use someone else's password. I'm actually thinking it was his password because it was (laughs) not what I would consider a secure password today. In any case, if... I go to sign up for an account someplace and they say, you can't use this password. Is it because one person's using it? Is it because a hundred people are using it? Because over time, if you've done this, then no one will keep using one, 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 one. And then any duplicate should be like a unique duplicate. Yeah. Okay. So there's a couple other things could be going on here. One, one is that most websites, when you sign up for an account or, or apps, it works the same way with apps as well. There's usually some sort of algorithm that before you even have a chance to submit the password, they will usually do some sort of a strength check. So they'll, they'll do something like, you know, uh, checking that you have a minimum of, you know, whatever it might be, their particular requirements, a lowercase, uppercase, a number and a special character are often things that are, are required in, uh, in passwords. And, and also there's a minimum length check. So before you even ever submit the password that you want to use, it's often sort of validated in the browser or in the app. Um, so that's another thing that often uh, usually takes place um, before you can sign up for any service. So that's another yes, thing. Yes, but as you say, that's the length and that's the presence of special characters. Yeah. That's not testing against a list of the 100 most common passwords. Right. But however, if you're running a website or an app, uh, if, if you've got – if you're collecting passwords from customers or users – then there's also a service from Have I Been Pwned that you can use and uh, where they'll actually check the the passwords against a, a known compromised passwords database. And so there are ways, even as a small time developer, uh, you can you can still do things to make sure that people aren't using common passwords that may meet complexity requirements in some cases, but still are just not very good. This is something that really every website and app should be doing, and there it's totally possible for anybody to do this. You don't have to be a, a tech genius. You don't have to, to spend a million of dollars uh, to get access to something like this. Anybody and everybody who runs a website or an app or service should be doing this already. Okay. In other news, you know, we often talk about how we are surveilled by the apps and services we use. We say that in the sense that Google tracks us and uses it to serve ads and Facebook analyzes our photos. But there was a very interesting story that Apple has removed a messaging app called TikTok. T-O-T-O-K. I guess they're trying to, they tried to make something that sounded like TikTok, which is a popular video app. It turns out it was being used by the United Arab Emirates government to mass surveil their citizens. Um, The privacy policy, we'll link to an article on Mac Rumors, the privacy policy notes that they may share your personal data with group companies. 
But one of those companies was a firm called Dark Matter, a cybersecurity firm in Abu Dhabi, which is under investigation by the FBI for possible cyber crimes. So what this means is that um, millions of users downloaded this from both the Apple App Store and the Google Play Store. And we trust Apple to vet these apps. And of course, Apple couldn't know when the app was first launched, but Apple did react immediately to remove the app as soon as they found out about this. Right. So this is one of um, what there's a lot of really interesting angles with this. But I think one interesting thing that applies to everybody is that this is a reminder that and, and we've said this before, that it's important to not automatically assume that anything on an app store run by Apple, especially is safe because it's not necessarily safe or or treating your information as privately as it should be. Um, and so this is a good lesson. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit alarming that something like this, um, could get into the app store, some sort of state sponsored social media messaging type thing. Uh, but you know, it can happen. And, and so, um, you gotta be careful. You gotta be careful. A few months ago, we mentioned that Apple was launching a security bounty and a security bounty is basically, they pay you if you find a bug. Uh, Apple has launched this. We'll link to Apple's website with the amount of money you can make. If you find a zero-click kernel code execution with persistence and kernel PAC bypass, that's worth a million bucks. You going to work on that, Josh? It sounds pretty good to me. Um, I, I will say that there are probably black markets that might pay a little more, but, um, you know, it's good to... You wouldn't do that. <laughs> no, no, I wouldn't do that. Uh, I was going to say, but um, it's really better if you've got this kind of thing, d- doing the right thing hopefully will motivate you to just accept the measly $1 million. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, what I noticed um, before the show when we were talking about this is you can get 100000 if you find a lock screen bypass. So I think in the next few days, I'm going to spend a lot of time tapping everything on the lock screen to see if I can figure one out. Yeah, I, I hope I hope you find one. That would be really cool. Okay, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about how to make sure that your new Mac is both secure and protects your privacy. If you or someone you know has got a new MacBook or iMac or switched to the Mac from Windows, be sure to check out Intego's new Mac user center. It's a one-stop collection of the things you'll need to know about using your Mac. Intego's new Mac user center covers plenty of the basics to get you running smoothly and smartly in no time. Of course, one of the first steps you'll want to take is to install Mac security software from Intego to keep yourself protected. And right now, Intego Mac podcast listeners can get 40% savings on Intego software, including Mac Premium Bundle X9. Mac Premium Bundle X9 is a suite of terrific Intego software that includes the antivirus, anti-phishing, and anti-spyware protection of Intego Virus Barrier home and hotspot firewall security from Intego Net Barrier, parental controls for peace of mind from Intego Content Barrier, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today, and then use the promo code PODCAST19 at checkout to save 40%. That's PODCAST19 to save 40% on complete Mac protection and security with Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9. Intego, devoted to protecting Apple products since 1997. Visit Intego.com today. 
So we mentioned that Apple released information about their security bounty. If you find bugs, you get paid. They also recently released a document called Apple Platform Security Fall 2019. Now, in the past, they had a couple of documents like this, and we were discussing it earlier. There was a a hardening Mac OS a few years ago. There was an iOS security document. And what they've done is rolled together information about iOS 13, iPadOS 13, macOS 10.15, tvOS 13, and watchOS 6. This is a really, really complete document about how things work. And this isn't about the settings that we're going to talk about uh, in a minute on your Mac. This is about what happens under the hood, um, system security, the different types of encryption they use, et cetera. Yeah, this is a, a really interesting and, and pretty comprehensive um, document. Um, it's a total of 157 pages, so it would take you quite a while to read through the whole thing. And there are some fairly technical details in here about how certain things work. They go into, uh, I think we've talked before about the secure enclave processor, and they sort of explain what that is in all of these devices that have one. Um, including iPhones and iPads and and even Macs that have the Apple T2 security chip inside. Um, oh, and interestingly enough, um, even the HomePod has a secure enclave. I was kind of surprised to learn that. Well, I think all of their devices now have to have this. Um, I, I'm guessing that while the HomePod isn't actually doing authentication, there is the new way that it can detect the voices of different people to be able to know who's asking to set a reminder, for example. So presumably they're just putting this into all their chips. Um, Maybe your AirPods even have a secure enclave. You never know. (laughs) Yeah, it's not listed here, but that would be pretty cool if if eventually they come out with AirPods that have uh, the T2 chip or something like it. I don't know how they cram that into something that small, but, you know, honestly, even the AirPods are kind of a marvel of modern technology, these tiny little Air, <laughs> AirPods that fit in your ears. We won't go into detail. I'll link in the show notes. If you are interested in security, uh, do read it. And this is going to be a reference document for you and I, I think, isn't it? Oh, yeah. There's so much good information in here. This is uh, more than we could possibly talk about on the show. So we'll definitely provide a link to, to this if you want to get into the real uh, nitty gritty here. So you got a new Mac for Christmas, did you? Laptop, iMac? Mac Pro. Did you get a Mac Pro? You could get a Mac Pro for the cost of a car, can't you? I have an article on the Intego Mac security blog called Eight Security and Privacy Features to Set Up Right Away on Your New Mac. And Josh, let's talk about this because the Mac is secure out of the box, but, right? One of the first things that you need to do is something that Apple doesn't even suggest that you do. That's right. Yeah. So (laughs) when you set up your new Mac, um, by default, your user account is just going to be the one account on the system and it's going to be an administrator account. An administrator account being an account that has the permission to install software, to make changes at the system level, et cetera. Yes. And so, I mean, there's an argument that could be made that for the average user, that's all they need. They need just one account. That's the one they're always going to log into when they use their computer. And it just sort of makes sense. Um, that's sort of like the easy, you know, Apple customer, you know, experience. Uh, the problem with this, though, is that with an administrator account, you have higher privileges than a standard uh, local user account on that machine. Um, and so the best practice really is to 
Yes, set up your administrator account when you're going through the new Mac setup routine, but don't use that account as your main account when you're logging in and doing your business using web browsers and all those kind of things. Now, the downside to this is that you will need to enter both your username and password when you're in a regular account, say, to install software or to make certain changes to the system. But the only difference is entering the username because when you're in your administrator account, you'll see those dialogues, your username will already be filled in. Um, when you're in a non-administrator account, you'll see two blank fields and you type both of them. Um, the real advantage is if someone does get into your computer, either they get through the network or they install malware, they can't access system files. They can only access files in your home folder. So this does give you an extra level of protection. If I had a pound for every time we've said use a secure password on this podcast, I wouldn't have to go looking for uh, bugs in Apple software um, to fund my retirement. So the second tip here is use a secure password for your accounts. No account on your Mac is more important than the account where you have your data. Remember, if anyone can get into your Mac and get to your email account, they can then go to websites and apps and services and click, I forgot my password, and have an email sent to create a new password. We, we talk about this all the time. I don't think we need to say much more about that. Make sure you're using a good password. Now, in this case, because this is something where uh, you're going to be typing it in a lot, really, every time you sit down at your Mac, you should be uh, typing in your password. Hopefully, you have a secure screensaver set up and it doesn't just automatically open for you. Um, so this is a password that you are going to need to memorize. So um, try to, to to pick one that is is relatively strong, but that, um, you know, is, is also memorable. Maybe some of your other passwords for miscellaneous websites use a password manager so you can have a more pseudo random <laughs> generated password, but um, you are going to need to remember the password probably to log into your computer. Okay. File vault. File vault is this magical feature on Macs, and it's been about six or eight years, I think, since they first launched FileVault. Um, it is what's called full disk encryption. It also exists on Windows, and I'm sure Linux has uh, it's a version of it as well. Um, FileVault secures the data on your drive by encrypting it. It encrypts on the fly. I remember when FileVault first launched, it was really kind of slow. Um, it was slow turning it on. It took a couple of days to encrypt my entire drive, and then it really affected performance. But these days, the combination of optimized software and most people have SSDs in their Macs, um, it really doesn't change the performance at all. At least I don't notice it. Now, you need to couple this with a secure password, but no one can get at your data unless they have the password to unlock your drive. Right. File Vault is is a great idea, especially if you're using a laptop. Um, you know, if you're taking this around, traveling the world, and and uh, or even really, even if you just go to local coffee shops and things, it's still a good idea. Just just in case somebody grabs this from you and runs off with it, um, you want to make it secure enough that somebody can't just uh, you know plug this in and access all of your data. Um, if you don't turn on file vault, there are a number of ways that somebody could actually, you know, get into the data on your drive and, um, uh, you know, basically steal all of your documents, see everything, you know, every place you've been on the internet, all your browser history, all that kind of stuff. Um, and even recover deleted files on your drive that may have sensitive information. Absolutely. So, 
for these and other reasons, it's a very good idea to make sure that you turn on File Vault, especially, especially on a mobile Mac. And I'll link in the show notes to another recent article about encrypting disks and other types of files on the Mac. That's good to know. Um, next is back up your data. How many times do we say that you have to back up your data? Um, if we haven't said it today, you should always back up your data three times. Um, backing up is so important because not only could your Mac get stolen or your hard drive will fail or your SSD will fail, but you may accidentally delete data. So there's two ways to do it. One is to use Time Machine, which is built in uh, with Mac OS. All you need is an external drive. The other is Intego Personal Backup, which is a part of Intego Mac Premium Bundle X9. It uh, gives you a lot more options, such as selective backups. You may not need to back up everything. You may just want to, say, back up your home folder. It's just you just got to have access to that data when something happens. Because my, my rule of thumb is every hard drive will crash eventually. Yeah, th- this is uh, such a basic principle, but if you're not backing up your data, in, in as you mentioned, in multiple places, there's we have a whole article on the blog, too, where we talk about the 321 backup strategy, it's called. You, you need three backups, um, you know, in, in at least two different uh, f- uh, formats, and, and at least one of them should be off-site and ideally far away from where, where you are. Um, so it could be a cloud backup, for example. Um, but the idea here is that, uh, if something happens to one copy of your data, you've got another one easily accessible nearby. And then if something happens where let's say there's a natural disaster or someone steals your computer and your backup, now you've got someplace far away where you can, you've also got your data stored. Okay, now here's one that Apple doesn't really suggest, and it's that you should set your Mac to automatically lock. Now, if you go to the security and privacy pane of system preferences, you'll see an option that says require password after sleep or screensaver begins. Now, I have mine set to immediately. That's what you see in the screenshot in the article. Um, Imagine that, I don't know, you're at work and you've got your laptop and you go to get coffee and someone just happens to sit down very quickly they can access your stuff. And it may be an employee. It may be a temp. It may be, you know, Tom Cruise has a mustache and you don't recognize him, <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, anyone can access your your data if it doesn't lock immediately. Now, you can set it to one minute if that's easier, but it really shouldn't be very long. Now, depending on which Mac you have, it may be actually very quick to unlock it. So we've talked about a secure password, and that takes a certain amount of time to type. But if you've got a laptop with Touch ID, well, you just touch the Touch ID thing. And the same as you would on an iPhone or an iPad, it unlocks. If you have an Apple Watch, you can also use that to unlock your Mac. So the automatically lock, I think, is probably one of the most important things that doesn't get mentioned. It's important to note that that this feature should be used in combination with other things because, as you mentioned, this is after sleep or screensaver begins. So you want to make sure that you're putting your Mac to sleep or engaging the screensaver before you walk away uh, just to make sure that someone is actually going to have to type in a password or somehow have your fingerprint on the touch ID. (laughs) That's a little bit trickier to pull off. And I'll link to an article on the Indigo Mac security blog about how to lock your Mac screen, um, which talks about hot corners. Um, I use a hot corner to automatically engage my screensaver when I walk away from my Mac. And basically, I just stick the cursor in the top left corner, and the screensaver comes on, and the Mac is locked. Right. 
Software updates. Um, you should always update your apps and you get them from the Mac App Store or if it's an app that you've bought from a third party directly, they'll generally have an updater in the software. In the software preference pane, you may not want to automatically apply system updates like the latest version of macOS Catalina because you never know if there are going to be issues. But if you click the advanced button there, you can check a box that says install system data files and security updates. And that will automatically install a number of updates that macOS downloads in order to provide additional security protection. Okay, and the last tip is to prevent unauthorized apps from launching. Now, if you go back to that security and privacy uh, preference pane on the general tab, you'll see uh, that you can allow apps downloaded from the App Store or the App Store and identified developers. You have these two options that tell your Mac to only open apps from these particular locations. So the Mac App Store, if you want to be truly secure, or Mac App Store and identified developers, and this could be the case, let's say you want to use a web browser like Chrome. Um, Chrome is not available on the Mac App Store, so you will need this option to be able to access Chrome. Now, if you do want to open another app that's not from an identified developer, um, if you double-click the app, you'll get an alert saying, well, we can't open this. But if you go to that security and privacy preference pane, you'll see a text saying that the app was blocked and a button that says open anyway, and you can click that to still launch the app. I'll put a link in the show notes to an Apple support document explaining how this works. These are some great tips. Um, and and again, if if you really want to know a, a whole lot more technical details, then you can also check out the, the Apple PDF uh, with with a lot more information about the background of all, how all this stuff works. But um, yeah, that's Josh's holiday reading. I don't think most (laughs) people really want that. It's pretty long. It's pretty long. So if you just, if you want the nice summary that tells you the basics, then uh, Kirk's article will be linked in our show notes. Okay. Well, that's it for this week and we'll be back next year, right? Wow. Yeah, that is true. It will be the year 2020, 2020. Okay. Well, until 2020, Josh, stay secure. (laughs) All right. Stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the online show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software. Intego.com.